Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Pastor Zellner and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to Conversations. I'm sitting here with my pastor, Eric Zellner. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Will? I'm great. I'm excited. We're back on on the mic, as the kids say these days. Um, (laughs) That was horrible. It's been a little bit, hasn't it? It it has. And so we're we're talking, um, following up after our previous series on the doctrines of grace. And the podcast that we're going to do today is going to be about how to handle disagreement. How can we speak about these doctrinal disagreements in a way that honors the Lord with gentleness and kindness and compassion, but still remain um, convicted of these truths we find in the Scripture? And so I think this is a huge problem for many people, and so I pass it on to you to please help us when we have these conversations. Say we do hold these doctrines of grace. How do we go about telling people about them in a way that Mm. honors God? That's a great question. The... um I think you jokingly said this would be something that would would fit kind of in the framework of things that I think about or talk about a lot, and I I really appreciate this. I think one of the coming off of the five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace that we've discussed, we recognize that some of those things will be um, matters where people will have disagreements, and so I think the very first thing when we think about how to deal with theological disagreements that we have with uh, others. Uh, First of all, it requires a real spirit of wisdom. Um, so, and, and it requires a spirit of wisdom because we're trying to discern whether what we're talking about is something that is primary or secondary or tertiary, right? So when we talk about the doctrines of grace, we recognize that, that if someone was to have disagreements on um, limited atonement or perseverance of the saints, there might be uh, negative effects that they would feel or know. Uh, they might, in fact... Um, if they if they didn't believe in perseverance of the saints, uh, they might have a lack of certainty of their own salvation or the fact that they could be uh, carried all the way from this life to the next. That does uh, impact how they would live out their life. Um, God's going to be fine in in this sense. His glory is not going to be uh, hampered by whether a, a finite human being can comprehend and, and affirm what he says in his word. Um, so we need to make sure that we are asking for and praying for a spirit of wisdom on some of these matters. Um, however, when we talk about things that are pretty central, like total depravity, um, uh, you have to recognize that if we don't have total depravity as a as a doctrine that we can agree upon, then we don't even have a place to begin with a need for a Savior. Mm-hmm. So uh, it does require a measure of wisdom on how to handle these things. The vast majority of theological disagreements that I hear about or that people are discussing are usually not things um, now here's what I'm talking about I'm talking about when we're when two believers are having a conversation um, when two believers are having a conversation they're usually talking about things that are that are secondary or tertiary issues right and so I recall one of my roommates in college saying to me when I was um, Arminian and really hated the idea of predestination and God's election. He said to me, Eric, I, I really wish that you could see this from the scriptures because it would help affirm for you the grandeur and beauty of God. Right? Those are probably my words and not his at 
20 or 21, but he was trying to help. He was hoping for me a greater understanding of God's sovereignty and glory. Uh, and so I, I can I can certainly appreciate that. Um, I wasn't there in the least. Uh, and so part of what we want to talk about is has to do with our tone. And I would I would say as we pray for wisdom in these conversations, we need to be aware that most of the disagreements that we have at least in the United States of America in 2022, theologically among Christians, uh, can only happen because we live in the midst of a context of comfort, right? And, and here's what I mean. We have the, the luxury of debating theological issues because no one's holding a knife to our throats saying, recant Christ or you will die, right? right? So we're over here having these conversations, and, and we, we have this unique luxury of being able to debate some things that we might not be willing to go to the sword over um, and might not be willing to let someone else die for. It doesn't mean that they're not essential. It doesn't mean that they're not big and important. It means sometimes we as Christians can be petty and argue over things that, uh, that we probably ought not be creating such angst about. Uh, so I think it's important to recognize that in, in times of persecution in the church, uh, many heretical views fall away and uh, and people don't die for things that they're that they can't support with the scriptures people don't die for things that they're imagining or thinking or wondering um, they die for things that they know to be absolutely true and essential and so I mentioned that um, I always I began a seminary at uh, 29 years old and the seminary that I attended uh, placed a real premium on this and I think probably uh, it's a super important lesson to hold for the rest of your life. And, and it begins from an academic uh, environment. If you, if you recognize it um, in a, a higher level study, even at Auburn University or anything else where somebody's studying a master's or PhD level and they interact with someone else's work, uh, they have to begin by affirming what they can appreciate about the person's argument. Right. That's just standard kind of scholarly um, I would I would call it uh, it's giving dignity it's giving honor or respect where where respect might be due. Um, when I was in seminary, my professors said it is important for you as you write theological papers to learn how to do that to learn how to kind of flex that muscle, uh, figure out what it is that you can affirm about this particular writer, uh, his. Uh, convictions or views, and then then you can transition to things that you believe may be unbiblical or uh, or are differing from your own opinions. <clears throat> I'm almost sure that works well, um, or we hope it works well in academic settings. Something happens when two people are standing next to each other, and the gloves come off for some weird reason, um, and so we fail oftentimes to give the kind of dignity and respect that you would want to be giving. To somebody who's an image bearer of God, mm-hmm. and and because we fail to do that, we automatically lower how we would speak to them, um, and reduce it to to ways that could be petty or or silly. Um, so one of the passages that I, I think is really helpful to think through this comes from First Peter chapter two, and the reason I wanted to mention this is because. What we're discussing is in the context of relative peace. Peter is writing into the context of, of potential or looming persecution from authorities uh, over pretty serious matters. 
And uh, so he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse uh, 15, he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then he says this, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Okay. Now, um, I think there's just some important things that we can take from this. First of all, this is the will of God, that your character should be so um, honorable that even when foolish people slander you, that it doesn't stick. It can't stick. And so he uses the term, it silences the ignorance of foolish people. Um, It's not going to silence the foolish person from talking, it's going to silence the ignorance. Mm -hmm. In other words, the argument that's kind of floating out there. So I I take that um, in this particular section, he is speaking of the way that unbelievers would view Christians, right? Um, And then he says in verse 16, live as people who are free, uh, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And so, again, a lesser to greater comparison in the context of a world where people are persecuting Christians, for their faith, he he says that's important for us to be those who recognize that we are free in Christ, um, but that we would not be those who would use our freedom as an excuse for or a way to build up evil. All right. So if we're using the then the lesser comparison, if two Christians are are speaking with one another, and we recognize we're both free in Christ, we're trying to figure out uh, where we stand on these particular views. Uh, it is super tempting to use this freedom that I've got to read the scriptures, to know what God's word says, to have the spirit indwelling with me. It's super tempting to want to use that as a cover up for evil. Um, you're so stupid. I can't believe you have that thought, you know, or I can't believe you're thinking uh, uh, in such a in such a uh, an ignorant way. And there's just phrases that we would use or say Um and so if he's saying, I mean, this is obviously when, when believers are speaking to unbelievers, but how much more than when believers are speaking to believers? Right. And how do I know that applies? Uh, he says, living as servants of God. And then he says, honor everyone. So uh, I, I, I think, Will, the thing that I find helpful in a phrase like honor everyone is we really do live in a world, and I am a person who tends to fail to give the dignity and respect that is due to another person just simply by being an image bearer of God. So as a dad, I, I want my children to speak kindly to each other. Um, I've, I've spoken to them about what does it look like to have a household where, where you enjoy being here because it's a place where you're built up instead of torn down. I'm speaking that way right now to the youth group of our church. Uh, what does it look like to have a place where you can feel um, built up and encouraged and not a place where you have to be on guard that somebody's going to make fun of you? Um, that's partly what it means to honor everyone. It means to recognize, believer or unbeliever, that, that person bears the image of God, therefore is worthy of dignity and honor. Um, now, he transitions and he says, you honor everyone but you love the brotherhood. Right? I do expect that conversations inside my house among people who love each other would be different than conversations that I just might have with the cashier. The, I mean, I, I may not engage super deeply at every level. I should still give the woman or the man a, a, a kind of honor and dignity that they deserve for being human beings in God's image. But 
loving the brotherhood is a whole different level. And I think that radically affects the way we deal with theological disagreements. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have to beat someone to the canvas over my view um, if it means sacrificing my capacity to love them well. Right. Right. Um, and, and so that adds another layer to it. Then I think the last thing he, he says, well, he says two things there. Fear God. Uh, in other words, living your life as one who reveres God as the, as the holder of truth, as the one who is the king and head over all. And then he says, honor the emperor, which is exactly the same word he used for honor everyone, right? Honor the emperor, honor everyone. The emperor, the person who's in charge, uh, we as Christians should probably be careful about the way we speak about um, those who are in elected office over mm-hmm. above, over us. Um, but in doing that, we're simply, we're giving honor by way of, honoring the emperor is to give him honor by way of his office. To honor everyone, as he says in the first part of verse 17, is just simply to give dignity and respect to those who uh, who bear the image of God, which is every human being. Um, and do you have any thoughts or comments? Well, it's, one, it's remarkable he's saying honor the emperor in the context that he's writing it because the emperor is killing yes. his own family. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. One thing that comes to mind for me is an article called On Controversy mm-hmm. um, that I would really recommend people um, reading. It's about John Newton writing to a Canadian pastor who's about to engage in a debate with another pastor. Mm. And the Canadian pastor writes to John Newton asking if he should engage in the debate. Mm. And um, John Newton tells him that some things to think about before you engage in this controversy is that if he is a believer, then know that you should have that special particular love for the brotherhood that you're talking about mm-hmm. and that the relationship you'll have with him will, in heaven will be a much greater relationship than you will have ever experienced on earth mm-hmm. because you will love each other perfectly. And so treat your brother as such. And then he says, but if he's an unbeliever, shouldn't that be all the more cause to give him love and honor mm-hmm. because you're actually representing Christ? Yeah. Um, you're representing mm-hmm. the kingdom on Christ's behalf. So certainly some things to think mm-hmm. about there. I recall I, I recall reading that um, that same le- I have either read the letter that he wrote to that pastor or I've or I've read it somewhere where it was quoted but I remember that same idea um, and if you consider what he says there of course much of Newton's life is of course um, later spent um, in a lot of theological discussions um, things that do really significantly matter um, and what he's queuing in on is the fact that tone is a very important component of how we deal with theological disagreements. Um, but let me let me add a little human touch to this. Um, as, a, as a pastor, I'm sometimes amazed at the number of people who want to discuss or, or debate with me the precise views of Presbyterianism. Like, I don't, I don't mean by that. Um, I I'm amazed that they think I'm willing to talk to them. That's not what I mean. I'm amazed that they want to argue with me, maybe in hopes that I'll move my position or something like that. And uh, and so when I become amazed at that, I remember doing that myself at 21 years old to my RUF campus minister um, and, and debating and discussing things with, uh, one, Paul Hahn, and then two, Steve Malone, and thinking – Somehow that I was arguing and proving my point to them, uh, and in both with both of those men, one of the things that really stood out to me 
was that I was more mad than they were. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and that speaks. It spoke to me then. It speaks even more to me now because I recognize they were so certain of what the Bible taught on these particular issues that they did not have a sense that they had to defend God to an angry young Arminian guy. Mm -hmm. They just had a sense that they needed to love the guy and open the scriptures and say, I think this is what it says here. You might want to consider this, or you may want to look at that. But you know, the Bible also says this and also says that. And I I just recall uh, leaving those conversations. And I was, if I was mad, it was only because in my pride, I couldn't move them. Right. So I say that when I say I want to add a human touch to this, I'm often aware that, um, that in my own flesh, I'm not always as gracious um, as I want to be mm-hmm. on these kinds of things. I'd say one thing that really affects your tone when you're speaking with people is an understanding of your own sin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just really hard to be righteously ang- like righteously angry over um, or to have a zeal towards God mm-hmm. and not have it actually be a real anger towards other people. Mm-hmm. And if I know my sin then that means the only reason I believe differently from this other person is because of the grace of God to illuminate my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when I realize that, I don't look at the other person as this unintelligent person mm-hmm. who is just so ignorant and dumb, but they're just a sinner in need of God's grace mm-hmm. of illumination to open yeah. their mind to the truth. Yeah, and I think in the conversation, in what you're referencing, right, we're talking about things where people really do not have, have not yet been granted the the blessing and the help of the Holy Spirit to see certain things that may be pretty crucial to mm-hmm. the gospel. Um, our tendency is to view people as as dumb or ignorant instead of, um, as I mean, First Corinthians two says, all these things are spiritually discerned. That's how you get them. Um, they're not uh, granted by wisdom or by knowledge or intelligence um, or charisma. They're granted only by the work of the Spirit. And I'll say as a as a person one year removed from college to be very careful about how you speak with your family about these things. Um, mm-hmm. I remember coming to these convictions the end of my freshman year and coming back home and trying to beat my family with them over mm-hmm. the head. And I think we also need to realize that these doctrines don't come easy for people because they have real life implications. Mm-hmm. That's why we believe they're important because they show the grandeur of God, as you've said, and the full extent of our salvation. Mm-hmm. But these could be troubling realities for people if they've seen people in their life that they know aren't Christians. And so I just think we need to hold them with some um, gentleness because they are hard to stomach for some people. Mm. Well, I think I think that's a, a great comment. and the And the reason that they don't come easily uh, is the exact same reason that God wrote a book, right? And and he writes a book uh, called the Bible um, because these things run counter to our flesh. They run counter to who we are apart from Christ. And as American freedom, oh, you better believe people. it. Yeah. And so so because they run counter to our our fleshly tendencies or even our uh, even our natural man thoughts. Um, then of course they have to be spiritually discerned, and so a kind of tenderness is is really not only required, but it it has the capacity to be a blessing. Um, I have known many people in my life who've been able to speak with tenderness over very challenging things. Um, 
And you would expect that um, from the mature. Mm-hmm. Right. And so sometimes when we see our own failures in this way, here's where I'll take us back to the gospel and then we can uh, conclude. When we see those failures in ourselves, uh, it really reminds us again um, of our own need for the cross. Right. I, I actually am not very kind and gentle and winsome and warm on my own. Um, and when I find in myself a kind of pride that reels and, and, and uh, rises up against someone else over a theological disagreement, um, our flesh's tendency is to go, mm, I'm so mad. I wish they weren't so stupid. But what it really does is it says, why am I so mad? Because I really need the Savior. Right. I really am a man of the flesh. Right. Um, and so it takes me back to my own need for the cross. Uh, and in some ways, that's that's the balm over which all of our theological disagreements can be dealt with uh, in a kind of uh, warmth and grace and tenderness. So anyway, I hope that's helpful as people think through these various issues. Well, and it attacks our heart to say, is the motivation here to win the argument or to win the soul? And mm-hmm. if it is to win the soul, then that will greatly change the mm-hmm. way in which you speak. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know a man that you went to seminary with, Dr. Gavin Ortland. He mm-hmm. always says that when he engages <laughs> in debates, he tries to do it in an irenic spirit, which oh. means aiming at peace. And so mm-hmm. let us be Christians who try to aim at peace in our conversations. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Gavin and his brother, uh, Dane, are two of the sweetest uh, guys that I went to seminary with. When I look back and think about them uh, both, they just— um, they carried that even at a really young age, which evidenced a lot of spiritual maturity, even in, even as young men. And so, I have I have even read and watched um, Gavin enter into some of those conversations, and uh, he does do that. He handles it with a lot of dignity and respect. So, it's encouraging here. Thank you. Absolutely, and let that be said of us in our church. So, mm-hmm. may it be so. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, Will. Thank you guys for listening to our podcast, and we hope to see you at the next one. All right, goodbye.